Hello, and welcome to the Bible Difficulties and Answers podcast. I'm your host, Lance Smith. Today, we complete the last of our five introductory episodes. Is the New Testament reliable? As a reminder, we spent the previous three weeks giving specific arguments for a theistic God, the cosmological argument, the fine-tuning of the universe argument, and the moral argument. I believe each individually, and especially cumulatively, give a compelling case for a theistic God, but not the case for the Christian God. Today, we'll cover the subject of the reliability of the New Testament. For if the New Testament is indeed reliable, then the resurrection of Jesus Christ occurred, we have strong reason to believe the entire Bible is true, and our faith and hope rest in something that is true, the belief and worship of the Christian God. I want to focus on two main arguments in this brief podcast regarding the reliability of the New Testament. Number one is historical truth, and two, alleged Bible errors. I want to acknowledge at the start I'll be borrowing heavily from Frank Turek in this episode, for his framework is simple to follow. But as usual, I'll supplement with another biblical scholar and give some examples I hope will add clarity to the argument. Let's talk about historical truth. We have a number of strong reasons for believing the writers of the New Testament were detailing the truth. The first is a large amount of embarrassing details. If you are writing an account to bolster a claim you hope to make, your goal would be to make yourself look like a Superman. You know, your whole persona would be like, I only write about truth, justice, and the American way. (laughs) You know, not too many details are there for Superman. That was really only safe for Clark Kent. But think about the New Testament writers. Quoting from a Crossway article from February 1, 2022, called 10 Things You Should Know About the Reliability of the New Testament Writers. And I quote here, would you write that one of your primary leaders was called Satan by Jesus, denied the Lord three times, hid during the crucifixion, and was later corrected on a theological issue? Would you depict yourselves as uncaring, bumbling cowards, and the women whose testimony was not even admissible in court as the brave ones who stood by Jesus and later discovered the empty tomb? Would you admit that some of you, and that's the 11 remaining disciples, doubted the very Son of God after he had proved himself risen to all of you? Of course not. The New Testament is filled with examples. And again, quoting from the article, Jesus is not believed by his own brothers, John 7, 5, is thought to be a deceiver, John 7, 12, is deserted by many of his followers, John 6, 66, turns off Jews who have believed in him, John 8, 30 through 31, to the point where they wanted to stone him, that's in verse 59 of John chapter 8, is called a drunkard, Matthew eleven nineteen, a madman, John ten twenty, and demon possessed, Mark three twenty two, John seven twenty, and eight forty eight. What we are left with is that the New Testament writers weren't changing the narrative to make everyone look their best; they were recording accurately what was said. In addition, the New Testament writers left in the very demanding things Jesus said. Consider the Sermon on the Mount. So much of what was said is impossible to keep and certainly goes so much against the best interests of the writers have to have been divinely inspired. The feel-good religions of today really do run contrary to the moral demands of the Sermon on the Mount. These demanding sayings were recorded and they were preached by the eyewitnesses. Also, the New Testament writers included events related to the resurrection they could not have invented. Here's a couple of examples from the article we mentioned before. And I quote, number one, the burial of Jesus. 
the New Testament writers recorded that Jesus was buried by Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a Jewish ruling council that had sentenced Jesus to die for blasphemy. This is not an event they would have made up. And number two, the first witnesses. All four Gospels say women were the first witnesses of the empty tomb and the first to learn of the resurrection. One of those women was Mary Magdalene, who Luke admits had been demon-possessed. That's Luke chapter 8, verse 2. This would never have been inserted in a made-up story. Not only would a once demon-possessed person make a questionable witness, but women in general were not considered reliable witnesses in that first century culture. In fact, a woman's testimony carried no weight in a court of law, close of the quote. Now, a common argument that people give to cast doubt on the New Testament is that the writers invented the story. In essence, Christianity, Christianity was invented by the New Testament writers. However, the opposite is the case. Christianity would be true even if the New Testament was never written. Why? Simply because Christianity originated with an event the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It did not originate with a book. The resurrection preceded the reports. Just think about this, and you'll realize the case that I'm making here. There were thousands of Christians before a single word of the New Testament was written. Paul became a Christian before he wrote a single one of his epistles. The same is true of the other New Testament authors like Matthew, James, Peter, John, etc. They witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ before they wrote a single gospel or letter. Again, the event preceded the writing of any of the New Testament. But let's carry the argument out even further regarding the creation of the New Testament by their authors. As any fan of true crime TV shows or podcasts will immediately ask, what was their motive to create a story of a resurrected Jesus? Really, they had every motive to say the story wasn't true. With the exception of Luke, all the New Testament writers were observant Jews. They were God's chosen people and they would pay dearly for claiming the resurrection. By claiming the resurrection, what was their reward for speaking the truth? They were all beaten, tortured, and murdered, with John being the lone exception of being murdered. So again, why make up this claim? They believed in God and never expected a Messiah who would be resurrected. But despite having every incentive not to do so, they proclaimed it publicly, completely changed their lives, and also their religion as well, and later wrote about it, all the while knowing it would likely result in their murder. So we can confidently declare the historical truth of the New Testament writers by acknowledging the embarrassing details they included, the demanding details Jesus preached, which could have easily been discarded, the burial of Jesus, the first witnesses to the resurrection, and the lack of motive to invent such a story in the first place. And that's a pretty powerful argument for the historical truth. Let's go to the second uh, area, alleged Bible errors. And I want to focus really on one story here for the sake of time. All right, the second area I want to cover here are the alleged Bible errors or what some may refer to as divergent details. A common one mentioned is the number of angels at the tomb of Jesus. Matthew says there was one angel, while John said there were two. Contradiction? Not really. Going back again to the 10 things you should know about the reliability of the New Testament writers, and I quote here, First, let's point out that the angel accounts are not contradictory. Matthew does not say there was only one angel at the tomb. The critic has to add a word to Matthew's account to make it contradict John's. Second, but why did Matthew mention only one if two angels were really there? 
For the same reason, two different newspaper reporters covering the same event choose to include different details in their stories. Two independent eyewitnesses rarely see all the same details and will never describe an event in exactly the same words. They'll record the same major event, i.e., in this case, Jesus rising from the dead, but they may differ on the details, i.e., how many angels were at the tomb. In fact, when a judge hears two witnesses giving exactly the same word-for-word testimony, what does the judge rightly assume? Collusion. The witnesses got together beforehand to make their stories agree. So it's perfectly reasonable that Matthew and John differ. They're both recording eyewitness testimony. Close the quote. All the New Testament writers agree on the central fact that Jesus rose from the dead, but they, don't, they didn't get all together to cover every single detail and smooth out any divergent details. So we're left with one inescapable conclusion. If Jesus rose from the dead, then Christianity is true. Christian apologist J. Warner Wallace gives a 13 rules to evaluate alleged Bible contradictions and difficulties. The principles he details are sound, and I included them in the show notes as opposed to going through each individually for the sake of time. It really is worth your time to go through that article. I want to conclude with two stories, neither are my own, which may help illustrate the point of the Christian faith. Number one, you'll hear any number of non-believers say something along the lines of, I didn't ask to be born, so why do I even need a savior when it wasn't my idea to be here anyway? Here's a story I heard as a reply. A family decides to take a boating trip together. However, teenagers being teenagers, their teenage daughter didn't want to go. The family said it's a family vacation, so we're all going together as a family. Reluctantly, the teenager joins her family, and they're in the boat together in the middle of the sea. The family then notices a hole in the boat, and the boat is taking on water. They try to bail the water out, but it's coming in faster than they can bail it out. Eventually, they call for help. The Coast Guard arrives as the boat is about to capsize. The Coast Guard is helping save everyone by getting them off the sinking boat, but the teenager refuses help. She said she didn't need to be rescued because she didn't want to go on the boating trip in the first place. She didn't ask to go, and she didn't want to be there anyway. The Coast Guard is her only hope of rescue, so it doesn't really matter if she didn't ask to go or if she didn't want to be there anyway. She still needs rescue. That's all of us. We need rescue, and there is only one way to be saved. The second example is one we hear a lot. You hear people say, there are so many different religions and different gods. Why is a Christian religion the only way for eternal life? I think there are a number of ways to reach God, so I pick and choose what works best for me. Here's a story I heard in reply. A man was trapped inside a burning office building. He looked around and all he saw were the fire and smoke. Eventually, he resigned himself to the faith that this was all there was to his life and it would end in this burning building. Suddenly, firefighters arrived. They hollered his name. He answered, and the firefighters told him they were here to rescue him. They found him, and they said, follow me. There's only one way out of this inferno, and they would lead him to safety. The man said that there are probably any number of ways to escape this fire, and and having only one way out of the building really didn't make sense. The firefighters said no. They had found the one way in and out, and they could lead him to safety. Again, the man said no. That sounded really exclusive. Since they had found him, others most likely would too. And um, he'd just wait until another group found him. And then he'd find a way out that suited him best. Again, that man is us. We need rescue. But there's not many different ways out. There's only one way to be saved. I hope those stories give some clarity to what we discussed today. 
we have good and strong reasons to believe in a Christian guide. And that's what I hope we learned in the last five weeks. Based on our timeline, it'll be a number of years before we get to the New Testament. But I believe you'll find Jesus being foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible as we discuss certain difficult Bible passages. I'm really excited about this journey, and I'm glad you're joining me. Tell some friends and have them join us as well. So next week, we officially kick off Bible Difficulties and Answers, and we start off jumping into the deep end as we discuss Genesis 1-1. You may reach us at our website, babeldifficultiesandanswers.podbean.com, or you may reach out to me directly at our email address, babeldifficultiesandanswers at gmail.com. With any questions, comments, concerns, fits of righteous indignation, or just to say hi. Also, please like and subscribe to this podcast and also write a review and give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or your podcast venue of choice. It really does help get the word out about the most amazing book ever written. Again, I am Lance Smith. Until next time, I wish you good luck, good health, and God bless. So long, everybody. 